Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So Psalm 25, we will begin reading in verse 1. And uh, it says of David, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. That For, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. There he instructs sinners in his way. He leads the humble uh, in that in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness and those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your Namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should uh, choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, and he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. My integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of his, all his troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Um, pastor and, and preacher and author, John Piper, um, once wrote, to wait on God is to, it, it means to pause and soberly consider our own inadequacy and the Lord's all-sufficiency, and to seek counsel and to help from the Lord and to hope in Him. The folly of not waiting for God is that we forfeit the blessing of having God work for us. The evil of not waiting on God is that we oppose God's will to exalt Himself in mercy. I want to welcome you back this morning to our series uh, titled uh, Waiting on God. And uh, as we talked about in the first week, uh, we began this series um, for a couple of reasons. The reasons are twofold. Number one, we are human beings. And as such, we are impatient. And if there's anything we hate to do, we hate to wait. We don't uh, believe in the old saying that uh, good things come to those who wait. We don't believe the statement that patience is a virtue. We don't ever want to wait. We don't want to wait for our food. We don't want to wait for traffic. We don't want to wait for five minutes in the bank down here. Um, you know, 
at Ulta One, right? We, we, don't, we don't want to wait for our sp- spouses to get ready. We don't want to wait for our tax returns. We don't want to wait for Amazon.com to ship our stuff. We don't want to wait until Christmas so we can open our Christmas presents. We don't want to wait until we get married to have sex. We don't want to wait for anything at all, including God. That's reason number one. Reason number two is that in spite of the fact that we don't want to wait, we were absolutely created by God to have to wait on him. We were designed to wait for God. That is the reality that we need to come to terms with. We were created in such a way that we need to wait for God. Why? Well, we discovered that God is everything that we're not. That God is everything that we absolutely need. You see, when it comes down to what we have to understand, we have to understand God, right? And we need to understand ourselves in the light of what we understand about God. It comes down to our theology, right? And what we understand is this, that God is completely sovereign. He is in control of all things. And in addition to that, he is good. There's no darkness in him at all. He is all good all the time. He is also all-knowing. There's not anything that he doesn't know. And he works works things out for the, for the best interest of those who follow him as Romans eight twenty eight tells us, right? That's what we know about God. But what do we know about us? What we know about us is we are his creatures and which means we are not sovereign and we are not in control. Even when we think we're in control, we are not, and we're not all good, right? And we're not all knowing. And we certainly have figured that out. Right? And we don't always work in our own best interest. In fact, there are many times we do things and, and, and choose things that are counterproductive and even harmful for ourselves. So what does this tell us? Well, it tells us that God is all-sufficient and we are insufficient. Which means we absolutely, 100% need God. We were designed to wait on God because we are wholly dependent upon Him. He is eternal. We are temporal. Right? He knows all things. We don't. He knows the beginning from the end. I can barely remember what I had for breakfast this morning. Okay? And more than that, we are alive. We are alive by his grace and by his sovereign will. The very next breath that you take is the breath that God has ordained for you to have. The fact that you woke up this morning, the fact that your family and your kids woke up this morning, again, is by God's sovereign hand. You are completely and totally dependent upon God, even when we don't want to be. That's why we're designed to wait for him. And as we discovered last week, that waiting on God actually is not just how we're designed, but it ultimately is a spiritual discipline that's good for us. Waiting for God is actually beneficial for us. And we talked about several reasons why. Number one, waiting on God demonstrates our submission to his sovereignty and power. Waiting for God is an acknowledgement of his indispensability in our lives. Waiting on God is an act of submission that glorifies God in our life, which means waiting actually is an act of worship. Number two, waiting on God shows how much we value God, which also is an act of worship. When you wait on God, you demonstrate to God by your actions that he is worthy and he is valuable to you. We wait. We're willing to wait for things that we cherish and value. When we wait on God, we're saying that, you know, to the, to, to the Lord that he is worthy. He's saying, we're saying that your will, God, is worthy. Your glory is worthy. Lord, you are so worthy that I'll set aside my needs and my desires right now now and i will wait on you god in his goodness is worth waiting on number three waiting on god also is how he changes us remember paul says that to be transformed by the renewal of your minds 
Well, it's kind of hard to be transformed, you know, and have your mind renewed when we're constantly in motion, when we're constantly in chaos, when we're constantly trying to force things to work, right? When we're impatiently trying to constantly get our way all the time. It is when we stop and when we wait on God and clear our heads and and allow God through his word and through his spirit to speak to us and to, to shape us and to mold us. It's when we wait on God that we have time to slow down and to reflect and to think think and to read his word and to pray and to meditate and to contemplate and to dream and to hope and to visualize and to spend time in his holy presence. So when we wait on God, that, that he renews our minds and our hearts and he changes us and shapes us into the image of his son, Christ waiting on God. Number four ultimately is in our best interest. This is the simple truth right here. Okay. In fact, let me reread the words of John Piper again for you. He says, to wait on God means to pause and soberly consider our own inadequacy and the Lord's all-sufficiency and to seek counsel and help from the Lord and to hope in him. The folly of not waiting for God is that we forfeit the blessing of having God work for us. The evil of not waiting on God is that we oppose God's will to exalt himself in mercy. Waiting on God ultimately is, in fact, in our best interest. And so we were designed to wait on God. And not only that, it is good for us to wait on him. And most importantly, it glorifies him. And last week we wrapped up by talking about um, uh, spending time with God in our daily devotion. Talking about how every day, you know, that we, we, that we need to develop a habit of sitting, you know, quietly, you know, for a few minutes to clear our heads and, and, and to be still and, and focus and wait on God. And we encouraged you to make sure that it was a part of your daily devotional time to, to get alone with, with, with God. And, um, and not only should, should we, we encourage you to continue this, uh, not only just be in the word because you need to be in the word every day. And not only should you pray every day, but you, we're encouraging you to, in your devotional time to take five minutes and just sit, simply sit and wait on God. And, and just in case you don't understand how that works, let, let, let me show you. It's like this. That's what it looks like. Okay. Now, for some of you, you might think, well, you know what? That's a little much because, you know, five minutes is really like an eternity sitting there. Be still. I mean, especially quiet and still and clearing your heads. But the reality is it's not that long. In fact, just so you know, I practice what I preach. In my own time, I found that I was aiming for five minutes, but then nine or ten minutes would go by before I even really realized it was that, that long. And so I want to encourage you to keep up this this week, right? Take some time, clear your head, right? I mean, definitely spend time in the Word, pray, but then sit there and just quietly empty your head of all the things that are going on and all that's surrounding you and just wait patiently um, for, for God. And so, uh, that was our homework for last week. Now today we're going to jump right in here. We're going to talk about, um, waiting for God when life changes. And we're, we're going to look at this and we're going to talk about this and, 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 what, and we're going to talk about why we need to wait on God and how we to wait on God when, when, um, when big changes in our lives occur, because the, let's face it. If there's anything in the world that you can count on is the fact that everything is going to change. 
All right. Our lives are constantly changing. Your life is not exactly the same today as it was yesterday. Right. And you are not the same person that you were 10 years ago. Every part of your life is constantly changing. Your family is changing as your family members age and mature. Your relationships are changing because the people in those relationships, just like you are constantly changing. Your body is changing because guess what? Every second that goes by, I'm sorry to tell you, you're getting older. All right. All of us are getting older, right? Right, and 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 so so with that, you know, um, you know, everything in the world around us is changing, right? You're, you you don't even think the way that you used to think because you know more today than you did yesterday. All right, the economy, governments, the culture is changing, and that affects you and the way that you live your life, your career, and even education itself is changing. Everything in and around your life is in a constant cha- state of change. It's just a part of life, and most of the things that change around you are not things that you have any control of at all. Because just so I can remind you, you're not sovereign. You're not in control. But oftentimes, though, there are things in our lives that change, and that we we face things in our lives that are actually within the realm of our control, or at least they fall in with the realm of that we can influence. We come face to face with the fact that there's something that's changing or we need to change in our lives. And we have the ability to at least influence or direct that change, or at least respond to that change. For instance, sometimes these changes that we face are about big decisions we need to make, right? We all at different points in our lives have to make really, really, really big decisions. Do I buy that house? Do I take that job? Do I change jobs, right? Do I accept that promotion? Do I get involved in ministry? Do I get more involved in ministry, right? Should I have that surgery now? Should I put it off for a while? Do I confront him about what he's doing or do I wait on that? Do I opt for the chemo or do I take my chances without it? Do I commit myself to this course of action or do I not? Do I accept that invitation to be reconciled or do I reject that invitation, right? Do I, do I, um, stay or do I leave? Right. Sometimes we face really, really big decisions and we have, you know, and, and all these decisions have huge potential consequences in our lives. Even sometimes the smallest decisions have huge consequences in our lives. And sometimes it's about unforeseen circumstances in our lives. Some things just pop up. Some things just happen, right? Like cancer, like the death of a loved one, right? Car accidents, a change in the economy that affects your job. Right? Sometimes you're just depending on someone who's been dependable for every minute that you've known them and suddenly they're not dependable anymore. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's, 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 it's your spouse, right? At any moment we can face unforeseen circumstances and there can be huge changes in our lives as a result. We don't control those circumstances, but we oftentimes will control our reaction to those things. And sometimes it's about unexpected opportunities. Not all unforeseen circumstances are, are always bad. Sometimes we, we, we encounter great opportunities. Maybe you get a raise. Maybe, you know, you, 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 it's another job offer. Maybe, you know, you get a refund or get, you know, a check in the mail you weren't expecting. That happens sometimes, not often enough, but sometimes, right? Maybe you get a chance to do something you don't normally get to do, like the time that the varsity football team had a chance to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, that's like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But those, those opportunities happen. We all have them from time to time. And sometimes these unexpected opportunities are simple to take advantage of, but sometimes to take advantage of them, we have to really sacrifice. Sometimes these opportunities come at really big risks. Sometimes these opportunities will change the entire trajectory of our lives. 
And so we have to, we have big decisions to make as a result. And then sometimes, you know, our plans just need to change. You know, we have goals, we have dreams, we have a direction for our life. Sometimes we have a routine, sometimes we have a vision for our life to get where we want to go. But then circumstances change and, and or opportunities change or life changes. And we discover that the direction that we're going isn't right for us anymore, which means we have to reevaluate everything. Changing our plans will impact everything in our lives. And sometimes they're just these changes we need to make in our lives. That we're just struggling with them. Sometimes it's things like addiction. We just need to change that. Sometimes it's the fact that we don't want to forgive. Something that we absolutely need to change. Sometimes it's budgeting. Sometimes it's, it's, it's dieting. Sometimes it's other things. Sometimes it's confessing our sins. You know, we have to do that, but we just struggle to, to do that. Right? Maybe sometimes we, we need to consider, you know, sacrificing like things like work to spend more time with our families. There are changes in our lives that we need to make, but we struggle to make with those, make those. And with all of these things, with all of these decisions, it's easy for us to try to become self-sufficient. It is easy for us to try to walk in our own strength. We have this tendency to want to lean on our own understanding. I mean, we, we are all, you know, decent, intelligent human beings, right? We're capable of making intelligent choices. We're capable of our own, making our own decisions. I mean, you know, we're smart enough to figure things out on our own without the help of God, right? Well, there are three verses I want to remind you of that ought to make you think twice about how you approach the things that things in your life that change. First of all, Proverbs 16, nine says the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Let us never for a second forget that God is the one that's absolutely in control and nothing happens outside of his sovereign will. It is easy in our daily lives for us to forget that we are completely dependent upon God. And he actually is the one who is in control of all things. So we should acknowledge him whenever we decide to make decisions. The second verse I want you to remember is Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Okay. Let's face it. You're not in control and you are not all knowing and you're not always as smart as you think you are. And neither am I. Right. Let's be truthful. Even there have been times, even with the best of information, you are fully capable of making bad decisions. Even when it seems like, like it's the right thing, even when, when everybody around you is agreeing with you, it's the best decision. You're still capable of making a terrible decision, which leads to the third verse, Proverbs three, five through six. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. All right. Ultimately, we need to lean on God. Ultimately, we need to trust in him. We need to acknowledge God in everything we do and in every decision that we make. And we need to trust that he will show us the way if we will wait for him. If we will wait for him to, to help us to navigate the major life changes that, that come our way. Now, the question I think that we need to look at is, what does that look like? What does that waiting actually look like? I mean, I mean, we know what it, we know that we need to wait on God. We, we've come to terms with that. The fact that we need to, to wait on God for life changes, right? And we also come to terms with the fact that it's good for us to wait. But how do we do this? What does it look like? How do we open our hearts and minds to God and His will um, in in a way that that that, that allows us to uh, to let to wait on God as our life changes around us? Well, 
this is what we're going to talk about today. This is what we're going to get to the bottom to. Um, in fact, let me just be right up front with you. What we're talking about today, though, is not some six-step or ten-step checklist system on how to wait, wait on God. All right? I'm not going to sit here and say, step one, close your eyes. Okay? Step two, pray. That, that's not where we're, we're going with this today. Okay? Where we're going today is actually we're going to talk about the principles that God gives us. God has given us many principles in his word to teach us how to wait on him. And what we're going to talk about today and we're going to look out today is not an exhaustive list or a complete list of principles. So I'm going to encourage you to continue to study the Bible beyond what we talk about today. All right? But the truths that we're going to look at today uh, and that we're going to learn um, are going to help us to have patience and wait on God. In fact, in Psalm 25, there are five excellent practical principles that we're going to learn and apply to our lives and only will help us to wait on God. And not only will it honor him, but it'll be good for us as well. These principles will help us to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with God and will help us in every part of our lives. And I'm not just, I'm not saying that I'm I'm going to tell you, you will see when we're done that that's the absolute truth. So let's read this again. Psalm 25. And and, and what we're going to do is we're going to read it and we'll take it apart and find these principles. So Psalm 25, verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let me, let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. For they shall be ashamed. I mean, they shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me into your truth. Teach and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation, and for you I wait all day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep the covenant and his uh, testimonies. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him uh, will he instruct in the way he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my afflictions and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with the violent hatred they, they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May I may integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you redeem Israel O God out of his, all his troubles. Now this particular psalm right here the uh, pastor uh, John MacArthur notes that uh, David grapples with the heavy issues of life avoiding denial and affirming dependence, all right? 
He says he must trust in God in the face of his troubles and his troublemakers. Or in other words, this is a psalm of David that deals with the issues of us depending on either ourselves or depending on God when we face circumstances and life changes. And what we'll find in this psalm that David has come to terms with completely giving himself over to trust in and wait on God for direction. In fact, in verse 3 is the promise of this psalm, which reads, Indeed. None who wait for you shall be put to shame. This is an important promise for us because that's exactly what we want. We don't want to be put to shame. Right? We don't want to make choices or react to circumstances or jump into opportunities that put us to shame. We don't want to make gigantic mistakes. We don't want to make our lives worse. We don't want to look like idiots because in our haste we reacted the wrong way. We want to make good choices. We want to do what is right. We want, we want to react in a way that is good for us and good for our families. And if we're Christians, we want to make choices that bring honor and glory to God. We want to make choices that we can, proud, we can be proud of not ashamed of. And the promise here is those who wait on God will not be put to shame. If we will wait on God and we will seek him and we will trust him, he will guide us and direct us and not let us be put to shame. He will work things out for our best interest. And in and, and, and the way that we can actively wait on God and, 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 and the, the truth is, that's what we're talking about, though. We are talking about actively waiting on God. We're not talking about ignoring our problems and hoping that God will solve them. We're not talking about making, you know, not making decisions at all, you know, and just waiting on God to miraculously make the decision for us. We're, active, we're actually talking about actively seeking and actively searching out for God and looking for his counsel and his wisdom, actively engaging God. Waiting on God is an active exercise. And, and the way that we do that is actually through five principles that we find in this particular text. And the first principle that's in this text, Psalm 25, is the principle of devotion. Okay. The principle of of devotion is where we wholly devote ourselves to God, where we are completely placing ourselves and our trust in God alone, where we completely are placing our dependence wholly upon him. We are actively depending upon God. Okay, verse 1 and 2 uh, reads this way. It says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. David's declaring right from the outset he's completely trusting in God. God alone, right? And he lifts up his soul to God, his whole being. He's entrusting himself completely into the hands of God. Verse 15 says, My eyes are ever toward the Lord, right? For he will pluck my feet out of the net. Here David says that my eyes and my attention are fixed upon God. I'm not worried about my troubles. I'm not looking at the problems around me. I am, I'm not walking in my own strength here. I'm keeping my eyes and my mind and my heart fixed on God. And then verse 20 he says, Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame. For I take refuge in you. You see, David knows what safety, where, where his safety is. He knows where he can find refuge. He knows where to go when things are hard. He knows when, where, where, where to turn when he's not sure what to do, right? He turns toward God. He devotes himself wholly to God. In this verse is what we see. He's dev- David's recognizing his own limitations, and, and, and he knows where to turn for the answers. He turns to God into his sovereign hand, right? Let, let me just tell you something this morning, okay, before anybody tunes out, okay? 
If you were to apply this one principle of devotion to your life, devoting yourself completely to God, things will radically change. Okay. I mean, I mean, if you don't do anything else to talk about today, if you'll just do this one thing, just devote yourself to God. All right. Everything would change in your life. Right, the way that you make choices will change. How you deal with issues in your life will change. If you were to wait on God and just simply devote yourself into his sovereign hand, your life will change. But there are other principles here. Like number two, the second principle is the principle of fearing God. Now, the idea of fearing God is something that's almost disappeared in our culture. And to our detriment, if I might add that. And, and, and I'm not talking about the kind of fear that you feel in the face of when you're about to have a life and death surgery. Okay? I'm not talking about the kind of fear that you have when suddenly you lose your job and you have no money. I'm not talking about the kind of fear that's, that's displayed on the silver screen when some vile monster jumps out of the darkness and grabs a hold of its victim and everybody screams. I'm not talking about that kind of fear. I am talking about the reverential biblical fear of God, the sense of awe and majesty that a person gets when he is near God and he actually understands who God really is. Because I want you to think about this. Go step outside today. Look up in the sky and just think about this. A plane that that flies over at 30,000 feet cannot see you on the ground. Okay? That's just 30,000 feet. A plane, you are invisible. You are a speck on the earth. Okay? And think about this. You basically disappear at 30,000 feet. And then, and then if you were to like stand outside of our solar system, the earth itself becomes a speck. Right? And if you were able to stand outside our galaxy and, and viewed our solar system outside of our galaxy, you, would, you wouldn't even see our solar system. It wouldn't even be a speck there. And if you were to view our galaxy in the cluster of galaxies that, that we belong to, you wouldn't even see that. And then... That itself disappears in the context of the entire universe, which is the observable universe is 92 billion light years across. You don't even know what that looks like, right? We are the tiniest little bitty specks, right? And and, and what you have to understand is that God is bigger than all that. He is greater than all of that, all right? And God, he created all of that, including you. He created the entire universe and everything that's in it, all the way down to the tiniest molecule. All right? God is the most powerful force that has ever existed, and he created all this. His power is so awesome, we can't even fathom it. I mean, we can't even relate to an 8.0 earthquake, what that actually means, which by comparison would be like a gnat's wings flapping to a Category 5 hurricane. Right? God is so powerful and so awesome in his power. We can't even fathom it. I mean, he controls every tiny detail. Every molecule obeys his command. And if he desired, he could make everything vanish like that, like turning off a light switch. And you are in his hand. The breath that you took was the breath that he gave you to to take. It was by his divine will that that, that you took that breath. Right? I mean, if he wanted to... He can make you stop breathing right now, right? If he wanted to, he could take your life right now. And there's not anything anybody could do about it, right? In fact, he could make you disappear right now and nobody would even know that you were gone. That's how powerful he is, right? God has the power to change everything in your life in a second. And he knows everything there is to know about you. He knows your inward thoughts. He knows your hopes, your dreams, your sins. He knows, it says, even the hair of your head are numbered, right? Remember, he is completely sovereign 
And he's in control of everything. You, your beating heart, the, the breeze outside, the, the movement of the planets, what will happen tomorrow, what will happen the next day, what will happen up into eternity. God's power is, is awesome. And that God has invited you into a personal, up-close relationship with him. Think about that. <laughs> that God, that God right there said, put your trust in my son, Jesus Christ, and you can live forever. And not only that, then that God comes to live inside of you. Intimately connected with you. The creator of all things dwells not just with us, but in us. The greatest power in the entire universe. If you're a Christian, if you have actually trusted truly Jesus Christ as your savior, your body, the word says, becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. My friends, it better make you stand in awe. That should move your heart towards deep reverence and respect for God. That should cause your spirit to, to lift your hands in worship, trembling hands in worship. Knowing how broken you are, knowing how perfect he is, holy and righteous God, all-powerful, glorious, majestic God, the God of love and the God of justice, the God of deep compassion and the God of horrible wrath that he will unleash one day upon all unbelievers when the time comes. That God is the God that you stand in the presence of every single day of your life. And the right response is to reverence him and to fear him. Look what David says in verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. His offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He makes known to them his covenant. The proper relationship with God is built on a reverential fear of him. If our theology is correct, if we understand who God really is, we understand who we are in light of who God is, then we will fear and we will reverence him. And it's an important part of waiting on God and seeking his counsel is that we will fear him. Is that we have this robust understanding of God that leads to deep reverence. An important part of waiting on God is to understand him enough to fear him. That's why theology matters so much. That's why theology is so important. Because you're never ever going to stand in reverence of a God that you don't know about. That's why so many churches in our culture today don't reverence God. That's why nobody talks about fearing the Lord. To them, God is just their friend. And believe me, I'm a friend of God, okay? Right? But God, for many people, is just this cosmic butler who's just waiting there for us to to, to pray to him, to ask for something. In fact, I've even had some people that I know that say, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy, okay? Okay? God is reduced down to this casual friendship that you have with your buds who you party with, okay? And for many people, you know, um, in the church, God is just this benign deity that is so loving that never gets upset about anything, And doesn't hold anybody accountable for anything. In fact, that's exactly the picture that that is portrayed about God in the book and movie, The Shack. That's the picture. This God who never, ever expects anything out of us at all. In spite of what the word says. Now, by the way, for those of you who say, well, that's just fiction. That same author is actually releasing a nonfiction book based on The Shack, which is his theology of God. And it it is heresy. Is that God 
is basically this just benign friend who doesn't want, who doesn't care anything about your sin, who doesn't care anything about. And not only that is Jesus isn't the only way, but just one way. The reason why people don't reverence God and have fear of him is because they have a flawed theology of who he is. They don't know him. But if we truly understand who God is and fully understand him in his glory and his attributes, and we understand him that way, we will stand in awe of him and reverence him in fear. And and the Bible tells us that, that if that is our attitude, if that is our attitude towards God, he will instruct us in the way that we should choose and we'll be his friend and he will guide us and show us the way to go. The third principle then following that is the principle of humility which should naturally follow, right? If we understand who God is and we fear him and we, in light of who God is, understand who we are, then we will walk in humility. We will be humble. The Bible tells us he leads the humble into what is right and teaches the humble his way. It's pretty clear. When our theology is correct, when we believe what is right about God and we fear God, Right? And we understand who we are, then we will walk in humility. When we do that, the Bible tells us he will lead us into what is right. He will teach us his way. Okay? This is an important principle of waiting on God, is humility. It means for us to, uh, that we need to keep a proper perspective of who we are. Again, which we've outlined this before. We're not sovereign in control. Okay? Any illusions of control you have are just that, illusions. Right? You're not all good. You might pretend to be. Right? I know I pretend to be, but we're not all good. And we're not all knowing, right? Transubstantiation, what that means? See, you're not all knowing, okay? We're not all knowing, and we don't always make the best decisions. And even worse than that, we're just specks in the universe, right? And we're wholly dependent upon God. And that knowledge should then humble us and drive us to our knees in prayer and in gratitude to seek God's counsel and his leadership when our lives begin to change. And then number four, the principle of being teachable. All right. This right here um, comes on the heels of being humble. We must be teachable. We must be willing to learn. We must be willing to take God's instruction and his wisdom. David says, make me know your way, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me to the truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. You And I need to be willing to be taught, right? We need to be open to what the Lord himself has to say and makes known to us. We need to be open to God's counsel and his divine wisdom. We need to be teachable. We need to wait for God. But let me ask you a question. Are you teachable? It's a loaded question, I promise. Are you teachable? Let me ask you another question. If you are so teachable, then why? Are you not spending more time with God, allowing him to teach you? I mean, if you're teachable and you're willing to learn, then, 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 you know, then you're going to be willing to spend time allowing God to teach you, right? That's how God teaches us, by the way. He teaches us primarily through his word. Now, now you can say to me, well, well, God teaches through the Holy Spirit. He absolutely does. But he never teaches through the Holy Spirit anything that contradicts the word. And primarily the, the work of the Holy Spirit is to open your eyes to what is in the word. God teaches us through his word. What do you think about this? Okay. You have a life altering decision that you have to make and you pray to God. 
God, show me the way. But you really don't feel the need to spend regular time with God in his word, learning from him to show you the way. My friends, that's not teachable. That's just us being ignorant. I mean, because think about this. God, help me to know your will, but I don't want to read the book that'll, that, that you wrote for me that will teach me your will. Think about that. That's what we're doing. The fact of the matter is, is if you want to depend on God to guide you, and you, I would want to because he's all-knowing and sovereign and he works the good for us, and, right? it, it, then, then we need to humble ourselves and be teachable. We need to stop making excuses and start reading the Bible every day. We need to commit yourself to sitting under the word of God being preached every week. That is what makes you teachable. It's how you learn. And let me just be really honest with you. I have heard them all. I've heard all of the excuses. I'm not a reader. I just don't have enough time to read. You know, I just, I don't understand what I'm reading. You know what? Reading puts me to sleep. Okay. I've said them. Okay. They're all excuses. Okay. But the question is, is are you willing to learn from God or are you not? It's that simple. In fact, in our current place in history, there, there are no good excuses not to be in the word daily. None. Not only are Bibles plentiful and available all over the place. And if you don't have one and you don't have the money to afford one, come see me. I'll give you one. Okay. But not only are Bibles plentiful. And in addition to that, you can have almost every translation of the Bible on your mobile device for free. You can download that on your phone right now. It's called the YouVersion Bible app. You can download it right here, right now. Okay? And here's the thing. If you, if you download it on your phone, then you will always have your Bible with you. Because I know you don't go anywhere without your phone. Right? You don't even go to the bathroom without your phone. Right? Right? Now, you might say, well, Sherman, I'm not a reader. That's okay. Because um, the Bible app has a feature. Right? It has a feature that helps you. In fact, let me just show it to you. So you can actually listen to the entire Bible on your phone. Chapter 6. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow. Richard can tell you exactly what, what scripture that is, by the way. But uh, the fact of the matter is you can listen to your entire Bible right here on your phone. You don't actually have to sit there and read the words. And I know this from personal experience because I've listened to almost the entire Bible on my phone you know, in, in, in less than a year myself. I started in Genesis, and Rich will tell you that that's, that's out of the book of Revelation. I'm almost done with the Bible. And, and let me just tell you the reason why, okay? Because I've got a reason why I started listening to the Bible on my phone. See, one day I realized that the first thing I was doing, like probably like just about everybody else, is when I first wake up, the first thing I did was I checked my phone, right? Because it's my alarm clock, just like everybody else's, right? And I would check my text messages, and I would read emails, and I would check Facebook and social media. And, 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 and so in essence, the first thing I was doing is I was inviting the world into my day before I was actually spending any time with God. And that started to bother me. I realized that could even become idolatry to me. And so I decided I'm going to change that. 
I want to put God and give him my decision, my, my attention first. And so I change my routine. So now before I get out of bed, the first thing I do is I just pray really quick and just acknowledge, Lord, Lord, you're the first thing I'm thinking about. Right. And I thank him for the day. And then when I get up, I grab my phone. Right. And, and then I, I grab and turn on the Bible app. And at that point, my eyes don't work so good and I am not in the mood to read. But I then listen to at least one chapter of the Bible. You know, giving the very first few minutes of my attention of my day to God. And I do that in order to put God first in my day. And I didn't realize how fast you can get to the Bible if you'll just do it just a little bit at a time. And as a result, I've listened to almost the entire Bible, right, in less than a year, right, which is in addition to my regular Bible study to get ready for, for what I do here at work. And so I'm telling you, there's not any good excuses, right? You can do this. It just needs to be important enough to you. You have to desire to be taught by God enough. If it's important enough, you will be teachable and you will learn from God and he will give you direction in your life. And then number five, the fifth principle I want to talk to you about is maybe the hardest one, even harder than reading, is personal holiness. Because think about this. How does it make sense to seek God's counsel and his will and his direction for your life if you're unwilling to walk in the holiness that God has already willed for you to walk in in the first place? Okay, The Bible says, be holy for your God is holy. Okay, How how does that make sense for us to ask for God's wisdom if we refuse to repent of the sin in our lives? Let Let me be straight with you, okay? You, you, you want to know what God's will for your life is? I can tell you right now. I mean, anybody who wants to come to me, I mean, I mean if you want to give me your money for that, I, that's cool. I'll, but I'll tell you today what God's will for your life is. Okay? Number one, God's will for your life is that you trust in Jesus with all your heart and be saved. That's his will for your life. Okay? Number two, God wants you to spend time with him every day in the word, in prayer, and, and quietly. That's his will for your life. And then number three, God wants you to repent of your sins and walk in holiness. That's his will for your life. That's what he wants for you. So whenever you ask me, I wonder what God's will, I'm going to tell you. Those are the three. And if you haven't done those three things, then, then start over, right? Okay? Make no mistake about it. That's God's will for your life. And I promise you, if you will just do that and you will follow that prescription, for God's will for your life. God will give you direction for everything else, regardless of what life brings your way. The fact is, as Christ followers, we need to take seriously the fact that God calls us to walk in personal holiness. Again, he says, be holy for your God is holy. Now understand, I'm not saying that you need to be holy and follow a bunch of rules and and, and to do all the right things to be saved. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? Because let me just be really, really, really clear. You are, in fact, saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. It is not by your works, so no one should boast. It is a gift from God, period, end of story. Your relationship with God is not by your merit or by what you can do because you can never be good enough or ever deserve it on your own. You were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is the bottom line. But let me share with you another important fact. God may accept you for who you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. The truth is that if you are regenerated, if you truly have been drawn to God, if you are truly saved, your life will change. Your life will change. Your desires will change. You'll begin to love what God loves and you'll begin to hate what God hates. And let me tell you what God loves. God loves holiness. Let me tell you what he hates. He hates sin and unholiness. 
Okay? And if we're truly going to belong to God and follow him, our affections and our desires will begin to change to be like God's and we'll begin to desire holiness. Not to say that we're going to be perfect, because believe me, you're not going to be. But there's something in your life that will be different. I listened to um, a conference where somebody asked John MacArthur, you know, as you become a Christian, do you sin less? He goes, well, yeah, as time goes on, you'll begin to sin less and less as you get closer to God. He goes, the problem is, is that as you, the longer you're with God, the more you're going to hate sin. So you're going to, it's, it's always going to be in your mind anyway, that you're going to be trying to kill your sin, Right. But the reality is, is we will begin to sin less. We will walk in holiness more if we truly, you know, walk with God for any length of time. Your life will absolutely change. And the truth is, if we seek God's direction for our lives, if we're going to wait for him and, and, and to be led for him to lead us, then we personally need to take holiness in our own lives seriously. Look, look, in fact, look what David says. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. The people that are obedient, the ones who obey God, God shows favor to those people who obey him. Right? He says, may integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait on you. David is saying, as I wait on you, God, right? But I wait on you in integrity and in obedience and uprightness and those things protect me. Right? I'm obedient to you, God. You see, there's a connection between waiting on God to give us direction and guide us and personal holiness. One goes with the other. Like I said, why should we seek, you know, the will of God if we won't even do what God has willed for us to do to start with? The fact of the matter is that we need to cultivate in our lives a desire for personal holiness. If we're going to be led by God, if we're going to wait on him to give us direction, we must entrust ourselves to his hand for the future. And we need to build in our lives a passion to follow and be obedient and walk holy before him. And, and, and And you can accomplish this with two things, two important things that Christians need to practice. Number one, confess our sins. We need to confess. I'm a broken sinner. Man, I mess it up all the time. We need to confess our sins to God. We need to confess our sins one to another, right? Number two, we need to repent or turn away from those sins and obey God and obey obey his word. That's how you cultivate personal holiness in your life, right? And I can preach a whole sermon on this, which I'm not going to do right this second, right? But, but the truth is, that's how we cultivate holiness. Now, again, not to say that we're going to be perfect, not to say that you're never going to make a mistake. But if you truly love God and you really want him to work in your life and you want to have his direction, then you need to really be clear about the, the things in your life that God is calling you to get rid of. And I promise you, all of us have something in our lives that God is calling us to say, stop it, right? There's something that God's saying, that's enough of that, Right? And for some of us, it might be something, and for other, others of us, it's something else. But the reality is, is we are all called to confess that sin and then repent, right? And then walk in holiness and be obedient to the word of God, right? That is how we wait for the Lord to give us direction. You see, waiting in God when it comes to life changes isn't a simple passive activity. We don't just sit around waiting for God to tell us what to do. Waiting on God is an active participation. It's something that we actively practice. We practice the principles of devotion and the principle of the fear of the Lord. And we actively walk in humility and teachability and personal holiness. We devote ourselves to him. We worship him in reverential awe. We 
we in humility seek his wisdom and we listen carefully to him and by being teachable and we remove the barriers in our lives between him and us by practicing personal holiness. That's what it looks like to wait on God. That is how you wait for God to guide you during life changes. We devote ourselves. We stand in awe of who he is. We humbly seek him, carefully listening to him through his word, and we obey him to the very best of our abilities. And if you will do that, God will absolutely guide you, and he will, he will direct you, and he will let, you, let us be uh, not put to shame. That's what he promises. That if we will seek him and we will do these things, he will not let us put, be put to shame no matter what life throws at us. So seek him. Let me pray for you. Father, your word is so rich and so complex and there's so much I could have preached on 15 psalms on this subject, Lord. But Father, let us not be overwhelmed by this, but let us take it seriously and look at each one of these things and say, where can I, where can I do that? Where can I, I have more fear and awe of you, Lord. Help me to, to have a better understanding of who you are so that I, I walk in that. Help me to be humble, Lord. Help me to, to be devoted to you. Help me, Lord God, to, to walk holy before you, Lord. Help me to listen. Give me a desire for your word to know you better. I pray that all of us, Lord God, would walk in that today. And that, Father, we would continue to walk in that. It wouldn't just be something we just hear a message and then Monday comes and it's all gone. And, and we've never, you know, never changed. Lord, let this be something that actually applies to us. That, Father, we could take it and that we could use it in a way that glorifies you. Lord, we know, we know. That you, that you work all things out for those who love you and called according to your purpose. Let us then be willing participants in that. Lord, let us glorify you in, in the decisions we make as our lives change. And Father, I just lift up this congregation before you, Lord. And I just pray that we would grow deeper in our understanding of who you are. And we would grow deeper in our passion for Jesus Christ. That Father, that those who don't know you, Lord, would understand that they need to that they need to realize that they're broken sinners, incapable of saving themselves, Lord, and that you would help them to see, Lord God, that they can't fix it on their own and that they stand already with, their, with your wrath abiding on them if, if something doesn't change. But also help them to see that in your love and compassion for us, Lord, that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross, Lord, and that he took upon himself our sins and made us clean if we will just believe in him and put our trust in him. Father, I pray that, that, that those who don't know you would walk in that and would confess that, that, that Jesus is Lord and believe that you raised him from the dead. And that those of us who do believe, Lord, that you would take your word and drive it deeper, transform us. I'm begging you, Lord, change us from the inside out. Make us into the image of your son. Give us a passion to share the hope of Christ with the rest of this community and the rest of the world. And I pray, Father God, that you're glorified in all that we say and we do. And we pray, Father, you meet all the needs of those who need you today. It's in Christ's name we pray. for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.